of wanting to survive, wanting to be right, uh, mm-hmm. fearing not being right. But what Scott was talking about with anxiety, um, that people want to find sort of a scapegoat for... Uh, well, I guess I, it's a little bit more nuanced than I was saying. Uh, I, I, think it, has- yeah. it, I think it has a direct... It's either you understand um, cause and effect and dependent origination, or you don't. Mm. Because um, it's not it's not so much as saying like, oh, like it's my fault and it's like my responsibility that I fucked up and now I'm ha- feeling anxiety. So it's just. Um, you didn't understand that anxiety can only arise due to certain causes and conditions and operations of our own minds. So when, when these operations of the mind took place, it seems as if it's something that's happening to you that you have absolutely no intervention in and like no ability to change, which is mm-hmm. a misconception. Hmm. But uh, yeah, so we were just talking earlier about, um, um, I'm sure many people out there have had some experience with weed and uh, marijuana, it's a very common drug. And then everyone can understand that Maybe some kids are in high school. They all get together with their friends. They're smoking weed. And then one of, like, everyone's just like, ah, like, I'm high. And then one guy's, like, freaking out. It's like, oh, am I, I'm high right now. I like, is there a cop? Like, is there something bad going to happen? And then everyone else like, nah, dude, you're just tripping, dude. You're just high. And then, like, trying to calm down like that. So it's like, it's not the drug that's making um, someone anxious or unanxious. It's literally the state of mind. So having having a no worries, uh, uh, laid back state of mind, everything's fine. Uh, no need mm-hmm. to imagine problems or future problems. Uh, then you tend to just be in a more relaxed, more uh, more dukkha-free um, um, state because because uh, that's a direct result of cause and effect. So thinking um, worrisome thoughts and hypothetical dangerous situations is a direct cause of the anxiety that someone feels. And it may be amplified after you smoked a little bit of the ganja or <laughs> or just normally, just on the day-to-day basis. So it's a it's it's a real directive cause and effect and be like, hmm, okay, instead of instead of all of a sudden being in a and uh, avalanche of anxiety and just saying, oh, I have now I have generalized anxiety disorder or something because mm-hmm. I'm experiencing, then 
it's a chemical imbalance or something, then you don't really um, understand that these things came from a certain yeah cause, right? Yeah, it came it came from somewhere. It came from hmm. number one, how we think about things, and our mechanism of react reacting to things, and how we interpret situations. So, so are you saying that like the normal, you could say like the ordinary view, like how most people view it is that these mental illnesses is something that happened to us and we are basically at the effect of it to a perspective compared to the perspective of no, these are your creations. <laughs> you just don't know right. that they're your creations, but yeah, you created yeah. these processes <laughs> that you're yeah. calling disorders. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All of it is a hundred percent a creation of your own mind. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is very empowering. You yeah. Know, rather than getting mad at hearing that and be like, no, this ha I, I didn't like this has nothing to do with me. I'm a victim of it. Then go if if that's your conviction and that's what you think it's true then uh, then really what is there to do right yeah it is true yeah. that it, it is not oh you didn't create it with your own mind and you're just a victim it's like an illness like a virus that took it over you mm -hmm. oh the best bet you have now for the rest of your life maybe take some of these pills that will make the symptoms not as bad but underneath, you're still gonna have mm -hmm. a faulty brain. That's really depressing, if you ask. That's me. a really good point. That victimhood is comfortable from the mm -hmm. state of the victim who doesn't know uh, anything else, uh, who uh, has this uh, disorder or something. They blame their problems on. Now, these disorders can be used skillfully too, uh, in a psychological setting. But there are also people who use them. Uh, unskillfully as sort of scapegoats for their problem uh, that saying that they have responsibility uh, is one because of our uh, psychological conditioning scary because we in school um, if we have responsibility and we do something wrong we're blamed for it and we're criticized for it we're uh, we're people are critical of us for it and so are our parents if we um, were supposed to take out the trash and we didn't take out the trash you're a bad boy and when mm -hmm. we hear that we have the responsibility for our anxiety we're scared because we didn't take out the trash but in fact we have the opportunity to take out the trash that our room has been building up with bags and bags of trash for so long the room being the mind and the fact that we have responsibility that we can take these smelly bags of trash out is empowering. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. So it's a transition um, that may seem a little bit scary at first, but it's actually a lot more liberating than, mm -hmm. oh, I'm kind of just my brain is just my. There's something wrong with the wiring of my brain, so now I'm stuck with this problem that I'm dealing with. Now, it may be a little bit overwhelming to at first to hear that this problem is created internally to a habitual tendency of how we think and how we interpret things. Um, but just like if 
just like when you let your room get so full of trash, uh, the more and more trash that gets in the room, the less and less you want to clean it up. Well, the first step, the first step to start cleaning it up is to realize that no, the trash didn't come from your genetics. The trash didn't come from just some hocus pocus thing. It's not some furniture. Like, it's trash. Oh, yeah, some <laughs> some hocus pocus. Someone, <laughs> someone wrote in a book that's not even like psychology isn't really a real science it's not a hard science like physics like uh physics is like it's not based on direct um provable stuff it's just based off like wishy-washy observation and stuff like that anyways so you don't want to clean up the room that's so full of trash but the only way to clean it up is to Realize first that you actually can clean up your room by what you do and to start with one bag at a time. So the first step to cleaning up your room is just taking out that first empty can of soda. And now that barely made a difference, right? But now you're on your way. So so like this is... There's like 5,000 cans of soda in that room, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> but we won't pay attention stuff. to those ones. Just this can. Just yeah, this yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you focus on just the one can. And like, whee, I did it. I took it. I threw away a can of soda. <laughs> and then yippee. Now, instead of like wallowing in the victimhood of being in a dirty room, you start to generate some... Uh, some success in uh, cleaning up the room. Um, but then uh, back to an earlier point I was trying to make about uh, uh, stuff like anxiety and uh, any other like general depression disorder. Hey, what's up, man? So good going, guys. What's up, up Carl? Other uh, disorders like that is is um it is actually very extremely liberating to realize that uh um there's a way out of it and the way out of it is right in between your two ears so uh and and uh, one of the calls that i had with domorado uh that that really struck a chord with me it made a huge difference in the way that i thought about things is uh so i was going through a breakup at a time i was getting dumped by um this girl that i was really you know attached to like really clinging to that for as a sense of comfort and a source of happiness and when that was being taken away from me i i felt like i was doomed like uh mm. yeah like i felt completely doomed and he was like yeah so you feel terror and loss right now right I was like, yeah. <laughs> so he's like, in that moment that you're thinking that thought, I am doomed, you feel doomed. And that's it. And then something like, something clicked for me into my brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In this moment, the thought thinking I'm doomed, like, oh, I'm, <laughs> like, I'm all alone. I feel doomed and I feel all alone. So no, yeah, the girlfriend left you. It's because you're thinking that unwholesome thought about mm. something 
that's not even here in the room. Mm. And so you feel bad because of it. So instead of being a victim of your circumstances, you realize that your hell, all the hells, all the anxiety, all the depression is 100% self-created, self-fabricated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Wow. Yeah, and, and until you realize this, until you realize this, then you're not going to be able to change it. But I'm not saying that changing it, it isn't easy. I mean, you start with that one can. It's the if the room's full of shit, you got to keep one at a time taking out the shit. But I'm saying until you realize that you physically, like you internally, 100% of your own independent volition can clean it up, and then wow be happy with literally nothing and be in a heaven state rather than a hell state. It, it doesn't matter what, what I don't even think about that girl anymore. Mm. Like, it, you know, you can be like one of these guys, they broke up with their girlfriend. Like, Oh, I was in love. My first love. Right. When I was 17. That was my first love. And they'll be like, what? And they'll still be ruminating about it or something. They'll be like uh, listening to a Taylor Swift song or something, and they'll be like thinking themselves the Duca over <laughs> doesn't even exist except for that they're fabricating it in their own mind. Mm. Wow! Right? Wow! Yeah. That's some juicy drama. Yeah, no, it's so it's so important because you mm. can be just completely happy, but just a happy camper and. Uh, and wow, what a more what what a more enjoyable life it is to live that way. Uh, and uh, you know, there's a quote from the Buddha that says, like one of the things he says is like, "We are happy with nothing, and we live like the Brahma. We live like the Brahmins in that that one realm where they're just constantly experiencing piti." So like we're just getting high off freaking nothing. We're just getting high off PT and the joy of just simply because we can, because we learned how to, we learned how um, happiness and suffering works. And if you master that mechanism, uh, and you learn it well, which is, um, you know, it it takes practice like any other skill it takes practice. But it's a skill that you can develop, and then so you can start being, so you can start just being happy, um, uh, because you don't think you don't think about things that, number one, aren't practical to think about. Like let's say like oh you love your ex girlfriend or whatever. What practical use is that thought going to have? Right now for you in your life. Mm -hmm. It's not, it has no practical use. So, like, the idea isn't to, like, never have thoughts, but um, to have thoughts that are just applied and sustained wholesome. So, like, you want to keep repeating wholesome thoughts, wholesome thoughts, wholesome thoughts. Um, and then wholesome thoughts tend to be, like, a much smaller category of thoughts to pick from, right? So... <laughs> There's all kinds of, there's almost an infinite a number of wholesome thoughts that you can have, unwholesome thoughts that you can have, but there's very, there's not that many wholesome thoughts that are true and real about the moment. But yeah, go ahead, Alex. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I, um, I just want to add on to what you said, and then I got to go. But uh, I, w- I wanted to say that that thing you said about hell, um, that the only heaven and hell that there ever was is the he- heaven and hell between your ears. Yeah. Like, like I really got that, man. It like fucking came down on me like a lightning bolt. And it was like, oh, yeah. oh yes, I yeah. see that. I can see that because it's literally like we go throughout our days and we're like, oh, it's stressful or, oh, it's hell or like, oh, yeah. God, everything is so fucking terrible. Well, if I wasn't saying everything was so fucking terrible, I wouldn't be experiencing it. They're yeah. inseparable. They're yeah, inseparable. Exactly. Yeah, that's it, man. It's it is, it's uh, very smart phenomena for the brain. It's like yeah, fish no, food for like, the brain if you give it the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's like realizing that's dependent origination, like right there. That's dependent origination. That's all it means. Really? It, mm. Yeah, it's like you realize the direct dependent origin. So you feel like you're in hell because they're dependent upon the causes and conditions of thinking those unwholesome thoughts that are creating the feelings of hell so it's like if you look around you're not really being stabbed by any demons or in a fiery pit but you feel like you're in hell so but like (laughs) so instead of taking the magic out of heaven and hell you realize hell is dependently arisen from how i view interpret and think about it so then uh the the practice of sati um which just struck you like when you realize oh wakey wakey of course that's the way it is and it's like (laughs) it's so obvious when you that's sati so like the skill is developing to when that hell is being created again internally what wakey wakey look what am i doing (laughs) wait wait a sec here wait a sec (laughs) something's going on what like let me remember to look what what the hell am i doing to myself well and then the thing is is we imagine hell is like over there somewhere like hell is like outside of our imagination or it's outside of us somehow but the truth is is that anything that we can imagine that's outside of us is still within our imagination so there's no you you can't rely on that you can't rely on that as truth it's right. all inside your imagination. So, of course, heaven and hell is just imagination. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if, you, if, you, if you're thinking about hell, if you're thinking about how you're scared of hell, in that moment, you're, you are in hell because you're thinking hellish thoughts. And, and, it's the, and then it's the opposite is true with wholesome thoughts. When you're thinking how nice it is and like you're thinking how nice like oh this is heaven you're in heaven and so it's a direct result of um our actions and our our viewpoints and all the eightfold noble path like um mm. like so like the the whole rebirth thing too is more is is more profoundly reframed as instead of lifetimes as moments. So if you're thinking um, angry, unwholesome thoughts in this moment, the next moment, 
you're going to be reborn in an angry, unwholesome hell state. Hmm. So that's your karma in action. Hmm. All right, this moment you fo- you are satisfied. You 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 stay in the wholesome. You stay in the Dhamma. You remember the Dhamma. You remember to wakey, wakey and look. Uh, the next moment, you're going to be born in a more pleasurable state, in a mm. more comforting state. And this, like, and your past life would just be the moment right before. So mm. <laughs> that's why I try not to kill bugs. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> kill a bug with anger, and then the the next day or like the the next next moment you're reborn in the hell realm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's like more. It of depends on your mental state as you're killing the bug, yeah. right? Yeah, if you're so angry like, exactly. and dissatisfied. There's not liking. There's not wanting. There's needing to get rid of the bug. There's the clinging to it. There's the becoming someone who needs to get rid of the bug. And suddenly you're born as an angry person who needs to kill the bug because you're scared or uh, whatever it may be. But uh, this practice is about seeing that process, that process of dependent origination, Paticca Samapada, and stopping it and choosing the wise road and choosing not to take a birth. Because becoming (laughs) something, being born as something is heavy. Wow, that's fucking awesome. Thanks, Parker. I've never heard anything like that uh, in that way before. I, yeah, I really haven't fully understood dependent origination. I haven't really looked up on it much either, but it seems pretty simple. That's what it, it is. It no, when it seems comes pretty down simple. to it, it, it is very simple. It's kind of just like <laughs> taking the magic. Like, so think, things, things are interrelated. Things happen because of x y and z like as a result of x y and z there's causes and effect right i think everyone understands that it's just that the normal um ignorant mind um throws a bunch of magic fairy dust in there and says oh it's hocus pocus because of this and like dreams up all these immaculate Mm. about Mm -hmm. why things happen that are completely magical and untrue and the Dhamma is just actually looking in this moment, what is causing what? Mm. <laughs> and would be like, mm-hmm. hmm, thinking, thinking I'm doomed makes me feel I'm doomed. So that's the direct cause and effect. So what should I do? <laughs> I, well, first of all, stop the cause. If you, uh, if stop you the cause. bringing it into the cause, you bring it into the effect. That's fucking so, awesome. That's yeah, so great. Yeah, dude. It's so practical. That's that's why it's that's why Domorado is so keen on throwing out an unwholesome thought as it arises because you're starting to see down to the nano level like what's actually going on and, yeah. and, and how those thoughts are formed and why they're formed and what led up to it and everything. That it's like a little mini story in every mm-hmm. single moment. Not why, but that's how what, is the uh, key? How is the key? We're not looking at the content of the thoughts, but the process. The process, yeah. There is liking of something, and uh, this is where we can either choose to be wise or ignorant when there is liking or disliking of some something in our senses or something in our mind. Uh, The ignorant way of action would be then tanha, 
wanting, craving that thing. Uh, mm. But with mm -hmm. wisdom, we can see these feelings as just feelings. There is just liking. There is just disliking. And mm -hmm. when we see it that way, we don't need to get up all into arms, stressed out, needing something, wanting to get something away. We can be fine with things as they are. If there's the, uh, if there's a mosquito bite, we can just let the mosquito bite be on our elbow without disliking it and wanting it to go away. So we're scratching it, and we're clinging it, and we're born someone who hates mosquito bites. <laughs> there it is again. We can just be satisfied. Yeah, for sure. And so beyond the liking and disliking that arises when uh, – we see something, we taste something, we hear something, we feel something, uh, et cetera, when uh, a thought arises. Uh, beyond that, um, if we're waking up to the, that process, we can choose. Are we going to suffer or are we not going to suffer? Are we going to be wise or are we going to be ignorant? Uh, ignorant to the fact that if we start wanting something, if we start clinging to something, if we start becoming someone, if we're born as someone, that's stressful. That's dissatisfying. That's so awesome. One thing I want to just add is I've been practicing a lot of kind of, I think it's really actually like a whole nother expression of the same thing, um, which is just resting. Resting naturally without seeking or describing anything. And it's like in the absence of the seeking and describing, AKA the thoughts, the dependent origination, you just, everything just is. It's, it's all okay as it is. And there's nothing to change because you have to describe change. You have to like see a whole point of view, picture story of someone changing something. Like, so if you're not seeking or describing anything, there it is. That's it. And it's like not very long that I can be completely present to that in every moment, but it is good enough. It is getting, it, it's expanding the, the capacity to just be in an experience without seeking or describing it is, is growing. And it's, it's truly like fucking opening my heart. It's just opening life within me because I'm just seeing over and over and over the, the just like complete abundance of freedom available everywhere in every moment because there's nothing there to hold on to. There's nothing to take is mine <laughs> there's nothing to push away uh nothing to avoid you're it's just playing out and hello like we're, we're just there for the ride as long as we remember as <laughs> and, long as we remember <laughs> and that's the practice right yeah. when you're resting naturally without describing or seeking or clinging to anything the mind habitually uh, describes, seeks things, and clings to things. So when we see that process taking place, we make friends with it. We see it, we remember it, and we relax, and no problems.
And that happens whenever, wherever we are, we can relax. Yeah. And another thing that I would say is I had some issue early on with the, like the friendship thing. And I don't know if it's, I don't know, just might not have resonated with me as much, or it just took like a little time to get it under my belt. I'm not really sure. But what I do know is that with, with resting, it seems almost like, honestly, it kind of seems like a shortcut sometimes. Like, uh, I don't have to do all of that. I can just rest. The whole practice is a shortcut. The whole practice is a shortcut. Yes. Our whole society, our whole life is about going and getting something out there. Like you were talking about something far away, uh, Mm that is not here yet and we're going to go need to do a lot of things to go get it. Mm-hmm. But the practice is immediate. Mm-hmm. It's immediately effective if we can remember and take the right effort to let go of any of the unwholesome thoughts we're having and to think wholesomely. Yeah. So I like to think of that as like gazing versus hunting. The hunting mm. mindset, you've got goal oriented and then the gazing, like you said, you're just there. Hmm. That's good. That's good. That's good. I'm in sales, so that's like especially good. I like that. <laughs> no one likes to be hunted. <laughs> exactly. All right, guys. Well, I got to go. It's been awesome hanging with y'all. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Nice to see you, Alex. Good to see you, Alex. It's been a while. Good to meet you, Alex. Good to see you, guys. Yeah, guys. I'll see you soon. All right. Bye. Yeah. All right, anyone else have any uh, questions, comments to add? Anything anyone wants to talk about? Alex seemed like he changed a lot when he was describing uh, the present moment as just bringing me into genre states. Really nice. Yeah, like uh, I think there's different. I try to avoid the word resting because uh, resting is a lot of vague, but I think he was talking about like, he was ta- he was like talking about effective practice, the way he, it's, you know, when someone explains something to me and they might not use the words of the Dhamma, first thing I do is like, I see what type of like state they're in while they're saying it. And then that really like tells me whether like, uh, what they're doing is like good practice or like needs um, f- needs clarification. And uh, so like what I take that to mean is like, um, you know, there there is that quote from the Buddha that is uh, teaching Bahia or whatever his name is to train uh, in when there's the scene, there's only the scene. When there's the herd, only the herd. And the cognized, only cognized. And to train that way. So like so, someone might say, oh, that's resting. And then that's what they're doing, is to rest in the natural experience of things. And it is only what it is without uh, going into hindrance or creating a self out of it. But uh, I mean, if you just, uh, most people who who think of the word resting or say the word resting will 
not be doing that at all. So it's not really a precise word. So it's more on like what you're actually doing. Because if you're resting in hindrances or you're resting <laughs> resting in sloth and sloth and torpor, um, you're not really getting anywhere. It's like there's nothing useful coming of that. But if you're uh if you're uh training it's more of a training than it is a resting. And uh, hearing only the heard, seeing only the seen, thinking only the thought, and then there's no self in connection with that, uh, then you are neither here nor there, nor anywhere in between. And this, just this, is enough for the end of dissatisfaction. So that's the only teaching the boot the Buddha gave this real short teaching to a farmer and that's all he said to him. And that was enough for him to realize the Dhamma and that was it. But he told them very specifically, train doing this, train it. And then when it is that way, that will be it. <laughs> so he didn't say, oh, it's that way. Don't worry. It's only it's that like he didn't say, Oh, that's the nature of reality, so don't worry, just let go, I guess. No, he said train train that the in the hearing only the heard, train in the seen only the seen, train in the cognize only cognize. So it's actually a skill that you're developing. Uh a skill to you develop so well to the point where that's how you experience. And when that how you is that how you experience that's when you experience the fruition of the Dhamma and then uh, you're completely um, completely satisfied with the capital S. And there so, are different levels which we can process things. We can right. process things in just the very bare bones level like you're talking about where the scene is just the scene or we can see it uh, and there can be a little bit of... Uh, um, matching it up with past images and then we can go uh, that would be like recognizing it or perceiving it and then uh, uh, there's also an associated liking or disliking and then we can go even further and tell stories about that thing uh, right. and none of these are inherently bad they're all just uh, processes of the mind and we can use them skillfully and uh, unskillfully. When, yeah. when you're driving, for example, you're going to want to have some stories in your mind about how it's wise to drive. You should be telling yourself the story of the speed limit. Of The right side of the road is the side of the road that it's wise to drive on. Because if the scene is just the scene, you might be driving in the wrong way traffic and get yourself killed. Uh, so it's... Um, but seeing that these are just mental processes, that they are just stories, allows us to use them wisely rather than clinging to them as fact. Mm. Because yeah, if we don't understand that heavy. the scene is just the scene uh, and that the cognize is just the cognize and the feelings are just the feelings, that um, we think they are me and they're important in some way. But if we can let them go and uh, see that that's all they are, there's no problem. Right, so the, the skill to develop is, uh, I guess, 
if you're at the point where you do process it into something and do process it into itself, uh, waking up to the fact that that's something that's going on, rather than it just being mixed into the experience of seeing something and you think it's a part of it, you see, oh, no, wait, wait a second. I saw it. Then I processed it. Then I thought about it. And then I cling to it. And then so like there's all these other steps that happen to it. And like realizing that those steps happened is um, developing like uh, inside around them. And then you can you, you can let it go. But but uh, the the point of the skill to develop or like where to get to is you can develop the skill eventually and with good practice and insight is to see something and just have it be that and nothing else. Like that's possible. Like people like, um, um, the technology of the Dhamma is really advanced and like what's possible needs to be known. So it is possible to experience reality as seen and only the seen. <laughs> and, uh, so like you're literally so every every ayatana or e everything that you experience because like there's nothing um proliferated about or there's nothing added on to it or there's nothing misconstrued about it it's just images like just images appearing and disappearing thoughts appearing and disappearing and there's no self like in connection with all with these experiences just happening um that is i really like that point uh that uh they are just experiences and having that knowledge that these are just things arising and passing away and they're not important and we can understand that uh by developing skills uh and uh developing the mind to see things quicker uh it can be more obvious to us how these are just experiences arising and passing away and uh these um, uh, sort of, uh, the mental word mental state is kind of confusing, but these mental states of seeing things quickly, uh, and being here now, uh, they're not an end. They're just a tool. They're a tool to see that things aren't important. We don't need to be selfish about things. These are just stories. These are just thoughts and we can let them be that way. Uh, similar to, um, I read a good article recently uh, comparing, uh, doctors and, uh, people blind tasting wine that you can see f as a lay person when you're, uh, say tasting some wine, uh, or seeing some, your friend with a sickness and trying to diagnose them. It's just a bunch of senses, uh, maybe sweets. It's that you don't have any verbiage or language to use when you're drinking the wine or, when someone's injured, you have barely any experience uh, or intuition related to what's going on with them. Your best guess is probably just to Google and uh, maybe if something very similar happened to you or some one of your close friends, give them that information. But a doctor or an expert uh, sommelier or someone trained in tasting and smelling and identifying wine, uh, they develop vocabulary and more importantly, when they see wine, when they see, uh, when they're tasting wine, when they're looking at a patient, they've trained their minds 
in processing these senses. They've trained their mind in tasting wine and knowing that a certain taste or a certain smell means it was the wine was from some certain uh, food uh, that was from Italy. And they can deliver that information uh, very quickly. And this applies to our practice that to someone, to an ordinary person, they really have no idea what's happening in their mind. A lot of what they're doing is driven by instinct, driven by feelings, things they cling to as me. And what the training is, is identifying these patterns, these thoughts that arise in the mind uh, and being able to diagnose them and being able to see them and see the patterns and see the ones that are unwholesome and lead to dukkha and see the ones that are wholesome and lead to satisfaction that lead to a wholesome life of no problems that lead to that we can realize that these are just stories and we can see them as stories and we can choose whether we want to tell them or not. Uh, I thought that was a poignant description because that's what a lot of skills are. They're learning to take in sensory information uh, and tell certain stories about them and get certain information from that sensory information. And what is Dhamma practice? What is meditation practice? But just another skill. Yeah, definitely. So, like, it is just another skill. Um, but just like any other skills, there's um, there's skills that you need to learn when you first start. And then there's skills that uh, more aspects of the skills when you're in the middle. And then when you get um, a little bit more advanced, then there's skills that you need to learn there. So um, what I'm saying about seeing only the scene and uh, hearing the only the heard and not uh, and stopping the process of dependent origination there is a little bit further on the road. Because uh, chances are for most practitioners, the hindrances are too quick and the hindrances have already developed. Yes, so, that when so, one's first practicing, uh, their room is full of trash and they just need to get one piece of trash and throw it out. And, but as you develop, you can pick up more than one piece of trash and, and you can see the trash faster as it yeah, and comes in. I think in. even that, that um, that's a good analogy, but even that metaphor has a limitation to it in the sense that um, it's not a room that's full of trash, that's always full of trash. It's that in each moment, the trash arises as a product of dependent. So like you see something, uh, liking or disliking comes up, um, and, and then like all this stuff happens, and then now you're in dukkha. Um, so it, it's in that moment um, the trash was dependently originated in that moment. But um, for the beginning mind, it's happened so fast that it's just like, oh, it's just a room full of trash. So, yes, at that stage of things, when you uh, the hindrances are too fast to recognize how that it started, then the practice or then the skill to do is to throw out the trash. So start throwing out those hindrances, start gladdening the mind. The trashes arose, you don't, you don't really understand um, viscerally how it got there. You're just experiencing trash because um, you haven't developed the skill to see um, things very quickly yet. Um, and you won't be able to if everything's covered with trash. 
So you have to throw out the trash perpetually. And then you throw out the trash enough times that now you're thinking one wholesome thought after another, one after another, after another, after another, after another. Now there's no more trash. So now you can begin to experience um, uh, states of comfort and, and such like that. So now that um, these skills that we're talking about, um, about seeing only the scene and hearing only the herd and the, nat and the natural insights that arises from from seeing really what's going on here and how things change and disappear and how there's no real self that connects them. Like there's no connecting self in all of these experiences. Um, uh, that is more applicable to that practitioner who has emptied the room full of trash. Um, <laughs> so it, it, it does kind of get repetitive to teach, to teach just, just um, throwing, just gliding the mind and throwing out unwholesome thoughts. Um, um, but to the practitioner that is in hindrances, that is what to do. So just like there's there's a progression of skills that we have and we teach. And then in these Sangha calls, um, there may be other people who are, are out of the hindrances who can hear and understand and apply what we're saying. But then also I think it's useful as to not um, give the impression to a beginner meditator about um, the Dhammarado Dhamma or the Dhamma as a whole is just, oh, all we're doing is some sort of overly positive thinking thing where we're just, oh, just think happy thoughts and everything will be okay. It's not that, it's not just that, it's a tool, it's a tool, and it's a skill set to develop, to develop an even more nuanced, uh, subtle and nuanced, uh, uh, more profound uh, skill and insight into the Dhamma, all the way down to, we're getting to the, the, um, The real, the real um, bare reality, constituent parts, life and death, birth and rebirth, um, aspects of our experience. So it's a more profound level of things of instead of just, oh, the problem is I'm a little lazy, I'm a little, um, I have anxiety, I'm depressed. It's not just oh coming out of anxiety and being uh, have, having some joy, like that's the first step, <laughs> and that's that's really enjoyable in and of itself. So it's enjoyable to do that, and you should do that. But there's once you do that, what are you gonna do with it, right? Just wait till it fizzles out and be anxiety again. No, there's like there's a progression of skills. So when you're in a joyful state, and when you're in a happy state. Now um, you can start to appreciate uh, more adva advanced aspects of the Dhamma instead of, uh, and then you can uh, develop more insight, more nuance 
into um, dependent origination. Um, uh, dependent origination is a multifaceted jewel. So it has like it has like a simple understanding of it, which is true. And then it has like a experiential um, understanding of it. And it has a um, the natural law of the universe understanding of it, which can be seen and experienced for yourself. So you're kind of like, it's kind of like, uh, you know, Albert Einstein learned learned re the relativity of gravity through studying the natural laws of the universe. So it is kind of like a, a form of genius to look at your experience, look at the mentality, look at the factors, the composition of your experience, break it down, understand how it works, and then learn the natural law and the laws of nature um, or the Dhamma and completely. So mm -hmm. that's quite, that's a quite, that's a quite a worthy endeavor. That's why it's a noble thing. That's why we say it's noble or it's worthy of praise. It is very noble to actually undertake this and, and master it to the full fruition of it. And then also it's possible. So the Buddha did it and then he taught, he, he didn't think other people could do it at first, but then he realized, no, there is other people could then learn it. And then other people become arhats themselves, learn this thing completely all the way to the present day where they're still teaching it. Uh, so yeah, it's not like a magical thing um, that you need to be an angel that reincarnated it from the heavens to learn the Dhamma. Anyone can do it, but it is a skill. Um, but, um, uh, you know, it's good in the beginning, good in the middle, good in the end. Like the, the joy and the rapture part of it is 100% part of the package. But then there's more that it's more it's more profound than even just being in a joyful state and even just coming out of the hindrances. Um, uh, being in joyful state and coming out of the hindrances. Um, it, it is like the first like trampoline, but then how high can you go on the trampoline? Like how how good can you feel? And then how and then and then then how how quick can you can you develop the mind to really see what's going on and see and and develop knowledge and visions of things as they really are and uh um you can start to appreciate more and more how i don't want to say how deep because deep isn't a good word but how uh What's a better word for deep, Parker? That <laughs> uh, yes, there are profound experiences, and uh, this is a great point that you're making. Uh, but at the core of it is always dukkha, dukkha, naroda. Exactly. Dissatisfaction, and the end of dissatisfaction. Yes. Yeah, so some someone who has become an arhat or who has become fully established in the Dhamma, it's just it's nothing magical. It's just that they fully uh, comprehended the four nobles. They're just an expert at the one skill of yeah. seeing dukkha and letting go of dukkha. Yeah, exactly. And, and these uh, 
profound experiences that you're talking about. Uh, they can be profound, but also they can, they can be ordinary as well. They're just another experience once uh, once they're gotten used to. Uh, and uh, in this way, we can understand that these experiences are just a tool, that the Buddha had practiced the jhanas before uh, realizing the Four Noble Truths and Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda, right. and he still suffered. Right. Uh, so we can uh, understand that these things are not an an end. They are just uh, a practice to help us yeah. see things clearly, to yeah, help yeah. us see dissatisfaction yeah, and yeah, the yeah, end of dissatisfaction clearly. Yeah, that that's that sums up what I was trying to say. Well, like I, I was trying to say, like some like because we emphasize first jhana so much in the sangha, some may think that just oh, it's just first jhana, but this first jhana is impermanent. Like you're going to come into the first jhana and then come out of the first jhana. Yeah, the first jhana is the cessation of hindrances. So it is uh, understanding. Yeah, and sometimes good first. feelings arise when the mind is not stressed out, when we're not thinking yeah. stressful thoughts. But yeah, yeah they're so just good feelings. Maybe we'll get relaxed yeah. and we don't even need the good feelings anymore. Uh, or we can continue with the good feelings and no problem. But they're just that. They're just good feelings. Yeah, yeah. And then, what we're looking so for is not a, good yeah. feelings, but we're looking for the end of hindrances. Uh, yeah, the 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 full understanding of dukkha, dukkha naroda. So we, we we become scientists about how dukkha um, comes into being and how it goes out of being. Um, and jhana is a tool to learn that. So that's that's like uh, the experience of jhana and the experience of getting yourself into a wholesome state of mind and staying in a wholesome state of mind um, helps you. For viewers who haven't word, uh, heard that word before, uh, it, it can often be confused for something very high, very big, and some people uh, do define it that way. But we can understand that it's just uh, in the Buddhist time, jhana meant meditation. Just mm -hmm. relaxation. These were various. Uh, the first relaxation is just when the mind is relaxed and there are various good feelings present right. when one is performing this relaxation. And right. as one gets more relaxed, uh, the mind say, is more relaxed and you can it, see things clearly. You can say satisfied, not wanting anything. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm satisfied right now. How many times a day can we honestly say that I'm satisfied? That's a good question because uh, a lot of times we're not satisfied. And that's all that the Dhamma is um, tackling. Or that's the, what the Dhamma aims towards is going from uh, dissatisfaction to satisfaction and then understanding completely how that process works. So like some, Scott, some, someone who has um, become enlightened or you or on from the outside people say oh this guy's a buddha it's because he understands the four noble truths um so perfectly that um he's not caught he's not confused or fooled by by suffering or he doesn't go into dissatisfaction and and uh roll around it and just and like not... learning a language just like learning yeah. to walk do you uh do you, after walking your whole life, forget to walk? No, unless you start sitting in, in a wheelchair or something like that. But when one's practicing letting go, when one's practicing being satisfied, 
why would you stop? Why would you start stressing out? That it's a skill that once one develops, they continue to practice. And just like walking, they become expert walkers. Or we're all speaking English here. Uh, and it's probably all of our first language. It would uh, be... Uh, it w None of us are probably going to ever forget how to speak English. Uh, and just the same way, when one practices uh, correctly and skillfully, uh, one does not forget to uh, let go of hindrances when they see a hindrance, because it's just, uh, it's a skill. Um, God, you were mentioning before how the nuances were were important on the higher genre levels. Would you say that practicing the higher genres will, or Parker, you can answer this too, but I think Scott was talking about this. Practicing those higher levels past genre one will reduce how often you slip into dissatisfaction. Because in my practice, I've just been noticing this dissatisfaction slipping into really kind of any genre that I feel like it, or just any kind of wholesome state and then going along with my day until kind of like Scott was saying, it pops back up and then repeat. Yeah. So, I mean, once you, but like you really just have to develop the mastery of the first genre is the thing. Cause that's what I've been doing. If, you know, if you don't have a mastery of the first genre, then you're not going to be able to, um, perceive and discern levels and subtleties of the mind and stuff like that. So if you if you find yourself getting into a wholesome state and popping out of it, um, I wouldn't worry about higher jhanas. I would just be like, how long can I um, apply and sustain wholesome thoughts? And how how long can I keep myself in a wholesome state? And yes, okay. and that's this that's and if we can do that, why are jhanas important anyway? If we can stay in a wholesome state and we can be satisfied with our life, then they're really not much of much importance. Uh, another way Dalmrado talks well, about the jhanas is uh, as... My answer, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that they're not important. I, or, I mean, it's this is all for fun, but um, I wouldn't say that... This is my question. Yeah, okay. I'm just saying that they're not... I'm not going to teach you or Domorado is not going to teach you higher jhanas unless you can, if that you're consistently in first jhana. If you're like in first jhana and you hang out there and you can stay there all day and you can stay there all tomorrow and then you're just keeping the mind wholesome, 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 then I'll be like, okay, now I can teach you some other stuff. And we can put some, start to put some gaps in between those thoughts. And then see uh, um, how we can slip into second jhana by uh, just oh, how good we're feeling. Oh, and uh, instead of thinking about it and then come back into first jhana. And then we might be able to talk about later jhanas when you kind of have a handle on that. But but um, that's not even a like there's no point in thinking about that if you can't maintain a wholesome state of mind. You have to be yeah. able to. To, if you're suffering from a hindrance, like, and uh, Domrado used the analogy of a violin that we, uh, when developing the first jhana, it's like building a whole 
violin. Uh, we have to get the uh, the body, the the head. We have to get all that together, and then we we string the first string. And so we we and that's the bulk of the work: developing that solid frame and the the violin. And then the uh, the other of the four jhanas are just adding another string and adding another string and adding a string. And this speaks to the fact that we're getting certain factors developed. We're developing certain uh, factors and mental factors. Uh, and once we can develop these factors and their skills, uh, just like we've practiced being anxious all our life, we can practice feeling good. Uh, and then we can decide to take some away or have more of some. Um, go ahead, Scott. Oh, dude, ha dude, have you ever seen, Nar you've seen Naruto, right? You've watched Naruto. No. Nick? No, sorry. Nick. I know what it is, obviously, but. Okay, okay. So, I know there's some toads and foxes and stuff. You've seen Dragon Ball Z, right? Somewhat. Not <sighs> insequential. I know what it okay. is also. There's like I've these. The memes. Okay, let me just explain real quick, because it's a good analogy. So. There's these parts where they're training the student, and um, uh, when when uh, I'll do the Naruto analogy because probably people in the audience have seen it. So he's trying to do the Rasengan, which is energy ball in his hand. So the first thing he gives him is a balloon of water, and he has to pop the balloon of water in his hands. And it takes him weeks to just pop the balloon of the water in his hands. And he's like, keeps wanting to learn something else. He's like, I'm not going to teach you anything else till you can just pop it in your hand. And then next was a rubber ball that he had to pop and even harder to pop. And then next, so there's a progression. And uh, with Goku, he's like walking around on this like high, high intensity gravity. Um, this guy's training him on a really high gravity planet. And then there's a monkey on that planet that can run around easily. And he's saying, until you can catch the monkey, I'm not going to teach you anything else. So, like, he goes around, he goes around and around just trying to catch the monkey. And it's super hard because he can, like, barely walk. And then he finally develops enough, enough strength and skill to catch the monkey. And then he's like, okay. He puts some weights on him and was like, catch the monkey again. And then he has to go around with the weights until he catches the monkey. And then he starts to teach him, like, some real fighting after that. After Does he have to hold the monkey the whole time? Or can he just have the ability to catch the monkey? He has to, the monkey's just running around, and he has to catch it. But, but the point I'm trying to make here is that we're gonna, <laughs> all we're, we're going to teach you or anyone else is first Jana. <laughs> until you can do that and you've like literally mastered it and you're in first jhana and you're staying in first jhana then okay we can talk about like let's let's go into this jhana because then you can experientially get a taste of what exactly we're talking about but if i say anything about second third fourth jhana it's just going to be an a concept in your mind like there's nothing useful about that so literally the only thing to do is learn how to throw hindrances and collect the jhana factors, as Parker is saying, so that you can master first jhana and stay in first jhana. It's like it's like a training arc. It's like, okay, 
once you've painted the window. And we can just use the word uh, training to feel relaxed. And all we're trying to do, all this enlightenment thing is, is train to lighten up, train to train you to be relaxed. Uh, and uh, this is, yeah, it's not serious. This is a really fun stage. This is literally coming into a joyful, uplifted state. I, I'm emphasizing that um, yeah. some people will get the perspective of uh, steps or um, uh, something higher to go get and, and get greedy for. That's right. all we really need to practice is letting go, is relaxing. And maybe once we're chilling and we're relaxed and we're just sitting down, we'll just relax even further. But what we're looking to do is see dukkha and relax. And if one can see dukkha and relax, what number jhana you're in is of no importance. The only skill we're trying to develop is seeing dukkha, seeing this craving, seeing this dissatisfaction, and when we see it, we relax. Right. So this is the, uh, yeah, like Parker saying, that's the number one skill to develop. And it's the only like, skill to develop. It's the, it's only, the only skill. Out, it's the same way that you go to other jhanas. So it's like going from zero jhana to first jhana is the biggest jump. Like that's the biggest, steepest part. Once you're in first jhana, it's like you're at Disneyland and you can start to hear Oh, think like try out some of the rides that at Disneyland. But before you get into first jhana, you're not in Disneyland. You're in the hindrances. So yeah, pretty much the only skill, like the main skill to develop is first jhana. And even if you go all the way into the higher jhanas and you come out of it. They're just, if we do, they're just tools for investigation. There's nothing we're missing out on. It's just, we're so relaxed. We can see how the mind works even more clearly. Yeah, yeah. But so, we the seeing of how the mind works is only of benefit if we're applying it to making sure our mind works well, making sure our mind works in a wholesome way where we're satisfied rather than a mind that works in a way that is dissatisfied and wanting things it doesn't have. Yeah, so you can see the insights that the Buddha taught um, because the mind is more clarified, more purified in these states. But like, let's say you go all the way into the higher jhanas and you come out of jhana completely, then you're back in the hindrances and the only skill is getting into first jhana and then becoming satisfied again. So it's literally like, that's the main skill. But then once you're in it, then here, we can start talk about some, some cool stuff that you can do while you're yeah, here. Yeah, it depends. Are you living in a cave or do you have nothing to do all day? And do you want to develop these or are you working a full-time job? And like we said, when you're in a car, uh, having thoughts about what's in front of you on the road is beneficial. Similar, most jobs, having thoughts about what's happening is beneficial. So if you're living a lifestyle that way, then developing jhanas, of, uh, that's just not something that's important. But if you're living in a cave and or uh, just chilling all day, then you can just chill all day. But either way... Uh, Whatever your logistical situation is, uh, the the goal is to uh, see dukkha and let go of dukkha. See this dissatisfaction and let go of this dissatisfaction. Whatever we do with the rest of our time is just play. That's like, that's, yeah, that's very whole, relatable. That's the whole dhamma is that's the teaching is dukkha dukkha naroda, and then all this stuff is just like an elaboration of learning that same same skill 
But um, uh, another thing I was trying to say about the jhana is it isn't like a progression. Like you spend certain amount of time second, then get to a certain amount of time first, then get to second, then get to third. You could tiptoe in and out of them. The thing is that if you're in first jhana and you're currently in first jhana, then we can talk about, oh, uh, this is kind of how you tiptoe into second jhana, but we want to get in it and then come back into first. And you can tiptoe into third and tiptoe into fourth, and you can kind of dance around the two. And But in any of the jhanas, you're in a wholesome state because there's no hindrances there. There's just more, um, the, as the Anupada Sutta says, there's just more, there's different qualities or aspects to the different levels of jhana. And then... Um, and these are just, these, uh, one, one practice, these can be just ordinary states. That the language uh, we both use is sometimes in numbers, one, two, three, four, or levels. Like there's something better to be gained, or these are right. uh, special experiences. But really, they're quite ordinary if one practices them enough. That really being relaxed can be ordinary in the sense of, yeah, been there, done that. Uh, so t all we need to think about is relaxing. All we need to think about is uh, seeing hindrances and letting it go. And that's all that's talked about repeated over and over again, because that's all we need to do and repeat over and over again. That our mind creates problems. It gets dissatisfied over things, and the job of the meditator, the 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 practitioner, is to see this process, uh, and seeing it when one's more relaxed and the mind is even more clear can be beneficial, but it isn't necessary. Uh, so seeing when the mind's relaxed and letting it go, it isn't something. It's not a level to go get. It's just a natural progression of one one when one is relaxed and just chilling, then they can just chill even more, and then they can just chill even more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and 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 it's all impermanent. It's all for the sake of, wow. Now I can really now that I'm not distracted by thinking about the past or the future. Now I'm not distracted by craving and aversion. I'm not distracted by ill will, and I'm not distracted by dis delusion and all these things. Now I can see really what's going on here. What what the fuck is this? What is life? What is my Scott, you made a really good point earlier when Alex was talking about relaxing. Uh, that at first, it isn't just about relaxing. If we were relaxing, we'd just be relaxing into more dukkha and more dissatisfaction. Uh, what the practice is at first is it's more active. It's like a training. It's like an effort. We need to see this dissatisfaction and because we've been practicing being dissatisfied our whole life, the dissatisfaction is pretty strong. So it takes some effort to see that. Uh, and we start by talking ourselves into thoughts that are satisfied. No problems, nowhere to go. The grass grows and spring comes by itself. These sorts of things where we can nurture ourselves into feeling safe and secure and with no problems. And as this becomes a habit, as we habitually by taking effort at first to uh, think wholesome thoughts, to walk, for example, as the baby starts to walk all wobbly, then we don't need to take as much effort to take the next step. That uh, when we see dukkha, we can just relax. 
we might not even need to uh, have the elaborate uh, verbal thoughts, but we might yeah. do it anyway. I mean, yeah, once you train this, once you develop this, at a certain point, uh, everything you're going to be seeing is wholesome. Wow, everything I'm thinking is wholesome. Everything I'm feeling is wholesome. Everything, everything's just wholesome now. Because I, I trained, trained into it. One thought at out, a time. Whenever yeah. I did it. Just whatever. <laughs> just this thought. Exactly. Like, um, that's why, that's the fruit of it. And, uh, and then second jhana is like a cool, like, I mean, the first time you take and go into second jhana, you're going to be like, holy fuck. Because it's like and you're feeling like an overflow of like joy and rapture in your body, and your and your mind is completely, your mind is completely disappeared into that, like the the thinking mind at least. That so it's like not so it's like it's like a it's it, it's a powerful experience. Like I would say that the so like not that, and that's just the second genre. And then there's just more subtlety and nuance. Just of the like then when LeBron James in high school dunked his first basketball, it was a powerful experience. It was a awe-inspiring yeah. experience. And he was like, wow, I dunked my first basketball. But now that he's 35 years old or whatever, and he's dunked thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of basketballs in his career, uh, he's got the form down and yeah. it's ordinary. And yeah, I can so dunk whatever I, I want. So you start to think I could do that whenever, you know, I can dunk a basketball whenever because I feel like a winner. Um, so now you can go dunk. I could I could I could stop thinking and just bliss out whenever I want. And that's a, <laughs> I mean, that's pretty great. Like when it first happens, you're going to be like, whoa, and you might be get so excited that you pop out of it and be like, like, I don't want this to stop or something. And then you you're back in hindrances. But the skill, that's why first John is so important, is that we want to be able to apply and sustain the wholesome mind. And then we can play around with the levels and the skills. But then uh, either we pop back out into hindrances. And if we do, then never mind, start again. Try to get back into a wholesome state of mind, first jhana. And then, uh, so I think the emphasis on first John is warranted, but it's the other stuff we talk about is just... Uh, it's explained in the suttas and like, and then also when you develop the skill of first jhana, it's good to know. I mean, these things might happen spontaneously to you. I, I, I do, I do really think it's a universal process. Like, like without like, uh, without like a preconceived notion of it happening. Like if you practice well enough, I think the process of the jhanas take place. Although I only have access to my own experience, but, but, uh, um the language of like different teachers and then hearing not only Dalmarado talk about jhana but other um dhamma teachers talk about jhana it sounds very like very similar experiences to each other and different ways that they explain it that was like oh yeah i can experience it but then but everything we explain about it is going to be talking about how it felt to like I mean, everyone's had sex, and then, like, how are you going to say what that feels like? Because it's like, yeah, we can kind of get a sense of it and, like, agree, all have a consensus about what that's like, but even less people have experienced jhana. So it's kind of like that. It, come and see it for yourself, but uh, there is a set of instructions that if you do apply and practice correctly, 
um, you will enter a wholesome state of mind and experience um, the zeal and the PT and the sukha. Um, and then if you are in the hindrances, the only thing to do is uh, one by one throw out the hindrances and gladden your mind. Take some deep breaths. The instructions are simple. Alrighty, so does anyone else have anything to add on to that? Or we could wrap it up here. One short thing. What's zeal mean? It said piti, sukha, and zeal. Zeal. It's like uh, awake, vibrancy, awakeness. Like zeal. Like, uh, like I would say, like, if you're, if you're on, like, let's say you're running the 100-meter dash and you're on the starting block and you're cocked and ready to go, in your mind and in your body, you're going to be experiencing a lot of zeal. Like, here, we, here it goes. Here we go. It's like, uh, it's very enlivening. So you're going to be, you're not going to be like, oh, I think I'm kind of doing <laughs> Donna, right? No. Like, oh, I, I guess I'm in Jhana right now. Like, I, no, like the Jhana is like, wow, okay, here we go. Like, I'm doing it. This is happening. Like, Jhana is an experientially, it's not, it's not, it's a noticeable experience when you're collected all the factors and you're free of hindrances. Um, um, it's noticeable. And it's, uh, you know, I had a conversation with Don Morado. It's, it's sometimes when I, when I was first getting into first jhana and it was like kind of a big deal, um, I couldn't really fall asleep. Like I was awake. <laughs> like, like, you know, when you're a kid and um, it's Christmas tomorrow or something, or you're going to Disneyland the next day and you're all happy, all excited, like you can't really sleep because like you're just awake. Like, that's kind of like a quality of like jhana. Like, it is like joyous. It's like uplifted. And then that's why, like, that's why, like, it is a fun state to be in. But then um, you can develop the skills to get a little bit more tranquil, a little bit more serene, a little bit more, ah, okay. And then uh, go into um, third and fourth where you're just feeling really good, really relaxed, really blissed out, but still really awake, like clearly awake. And then, uh, but you're not jumping off the walls with, with yippee, like, the, you know what I mean? So yeah, but the first first step for um, someone who's like, like grogged down in like the depression and the, and the dukkha of samsara is you want to get them up into that yippee state. You got to go, you got to blast off and how high can, good can you feel? <laughs> and after you get them up in that super uplifted state, then we can talk about like, okay, like what, what do you do with this? And like, what do you do now? But, uh, yeah. For the viewers here, uh, there's a good video with Scott. Maybe that's where we can direct people to next. Uh, talking about the four genres with Tom Rado, because, uh, I imagine some people watching this might not have any idea what we're talking about. That might be a beneficial video to watch. It is a good video. Um, that's how I learned experientially all of this stuff. I mean, I've read some other stuff about John and stuff, but uh, it was the way Don Morado taught me is the, the first thing he taught me was 
he gave me instructions. Like he was like, just started talking about wholesome thoughts and how to gladden the mind. And he said, okay, just do this five times a day. I was like, oh. I'm like, okay, whatever. Like I just <laughs> gave it a shot. I called him. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll do, I'll do what he said. And I didn't even do it five times a day. I just did it randomly when I remembered. And I started getting in a really joyful state. And I'm like, I'm like, this actually works. Like, I can literally think myself into a wholesome state. Like, it's that simple. Like, I'm not a victim of my thoughts. I can literally change them and start getting happy. And then uh, when I realized that, then it, then it like, it like really rocket shit up. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, I feel amazing. Like, I really can think myself into a wholesome state. And then, uh, <laughs> And then, like, I get myself in all all hyped up and like uh, really happy. And then, like, something the first unwholesome thought pops in, or like I get worried, or like something pops in my mind and it like crashes out of it. So then I call him again, and like we talk about the crash landing. And then later on, I learn how to like consistently do it and stabilize it. And then. And then a couple of calls later, he starts teaching me a little bit more about second, third, and fourth. So he kind of, he taught he doesn't teach you where like a lot of times I'll talk about all this stuff, but just I guess just because I like talking about it. But Dom Rada teaches you where you're at. Like so he's like he's gonna t he's not gonna talk about um ladder jhanas unless you're in first jhana while you're talking to him and you can stay in it. <laughs> So that's kind of how it's like a Kung Fu master. Like they'll teach you to first you have to paint the <laughs> first you have to paint the fences, you know, <laughs> or wax on, wax off. You got to clean his car. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know what that video is called, but it is a good video. Alrighty, Well, I think that's it for me. Any parting Good to see you guys. Good to see you all. Yeah, I think it's good. For the people watching, check out that video. Ian will probably link it in the description. And there's also these calls are everyone's welcome to join. They're linked in the description. Uh, and so is the Discord. A lot of friends hanging out in there talking about this Dhamma stuff. Yeah, I think more people probably go on the Discord chats than the, than the Skype calls. But uh, <laughs> either way, it's good. Well, good to see you, Nick. Thanks for coming. Yeah. And good to see you, Parker, as always. Yeah, great to see you both. See you next time. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye. See you, boys.